Okay, well, in just a moment, I am going to uh, read our scripture uh, for this, this morning. But before, I, before we do that, I want to give us a little bit of context because we are actually, we're going to step out of the Gospel of John. Uh, we've been in the Gospel of John the last several weeks. We've got a long ways to go in John. Some of you are like, we're never going to get done, and now we're taking a break from John. Um, sorry about that. So uh, we're going to be in uh, the book of Psalms today uh, because we have a, a guest preacher with us. Uh, Paul Brandis is a good uh, friend of mine, a longtime friend of Christ Community. He and his wife, Ashley, and their boys are here with us uh, this weekend and in town, and I've asked Paul uh, to preach. And as I said, Paul has a long history with Christ Community. He's actually one of our pastoral residents, so he joined our staff in 2014, was a pastoral resident at our Brookside campus, uh, was then invited to stay on, uh, stayed for a total of five years with us at Christ Community. Uh, And then three years ago, God called him um, away and his family away from us. And uh, that really broke our hearts, honestly, but to a really uh, exciting opportunity for them in Sterling, Kansas. So Paul has been serving the last three years uh, as the college pastor uh, for his alma mater, Sterling College. So if you're familiar with the middle of nowhere, Kansas, then you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. The rest of you, it doesn't really matter that you don't need to know. Um, but that, so he's been that college pastor there, and he's also been uh, planting a church with a dear friend of his, uh, a church plant that we as a congregation help support uh, and get off the ground, which is really exciting as well. Uh, so we've been partnered with them for King, King's Cross is the name of it in Lyons, Kansas. So Paul, he knows, he, uh, he knows who we are. He knows our church really, really well. He loves Jesus, loves, loves the church, uh, has had a deep impact in my life personally, and so I'm really excited uh, to hear him preach today. So without further ado, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm going to read from Psalm chapter 16. Uh, I'm going to read out of the NIV today for us. Psalm chapter 16. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see the decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. As uh, Nathan said, my name is Paul Brandis. Uh, It is a joy to be with you this morning. I serve as an associate pastor at a church that uh, Christ Community was very generous in helping get started in central Kansas, and then um, the campus chaplain and associate vice president of student life at Sterling College, where my wife Ashley and I, where we met a number of years ago. Uh, this, is, this is a picture of, a, of us at a friend's wedding uh, from earlier last year, and uh, two of our boys, but this is just maybe possibly the best picture our family's ever taken. So, uh, But then we have another addition, so I've got, this is baby Ethan uh, down front. Uh, Ethan is is how we redeemed 2020. Uh, so December 28th, uh, 2020, and we his name is Ethan Taxbreak Brandis. Um, 
No, it's, uh, I was very grateful <laughs> for the tax break. His, actually, his middle name's Ethan Paul. I had to have three sons to sneak my name in there uh, somehow. So this is Bevan and Owen. Owen turns five tomorrow, y'all. And uh, we took some time yesterday. If anybody's been over to the, the, the new location of Wonderscope, used to be right here in Shawnee, which was awesome. We did that several times when we lived in Kansas City. Uh, but we went over to the new spot on Redbridge Road and had this like 10 or 12 minutes where we were really freaking out because we didn't see that the website said non-members had to buy tickets in advance, and it's like, we're going to crush Owen's just life, you know? He's like so excited, and I'm like, do we buy a membership at the door? Like, I was honestly, I was like, do I just like for a one-off buy a membership for this kid? But then the guy, you know, let us in. So we did that yesterday, and it has been a joy to be to be here with you. Um, Nathan mentioned my history, my family's history with Christ Community. Uh, I originally grew up in the Chicagoland area, came out to Sterling, uh, Kansas for college. That's where Ashley and I met. Then we're back near where I'm from uh, for my MDiv at Trinity Seminary, and that's where I heard about Christ Community, this incredible residency program. And I honestly could not believe that a church would make that level of generous investment in the next generation of pastoral leaders. Uh, And I knew immediately, this is what I would love to do, like to do, if the Lord sees fit and if Christ community accepts me. So uh, I remember vividly our discovery weekend in 2013 coming here. And at the end of that weekend, we had already fallen in love with Christ community. And we're hopeful that we are going to get offered the residency, and the only bad thing was that it ended after two years. Uh, and then I didn't have to leave after that, and so spent five years pastoring at Brookside, and it was enormously difficult for us to leave three years ago. Um, but when the Lord calls, uh, you better pick up that phone and answer. Um, if I've learned anything in my life, right? And maybe you've learned that as well. So to be here with you today, uh, serving in this place, uh, preaching God's Word, it's a gift to me, and, uh, and, and God's Word is a gift to us. That's what I'd like to do, is just study Psalm 16 with you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me to ask for God's help? Father in heaven, thank you for your Word. Thank you for how it blesses and encourages us and challenges us and uh, corrects us, Lord. Uh, May that happen today. I pray for illumination in this moment, for understanding for our hearts and minds and souls. Uh, Be with us. We know you already are, Lord. Make yourself known in this time. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd like to start by asking you all to consider a question with me this morning, a question. And, And here it is. When in your life were you most shaken? When in your life were you most shaken, most rocked, most knocked off course, most unsettled, most shaken? When in your life were you most shaken? As I think about this question in my own life, I can't help. My mind just drifts back to February 26th, 2006, one of the most significant days in my entire life. I was a junior in high school, and it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was driving home from uh, doing some homework at a friend's house, and classic high school student, I had stayed up way too late with a different friend the night before, like way, way, way too late. We were, uh, we were binging 24, anybody watch that? Like with DVDs, because this was, like I was like going to Blockbuster to rent DVDs. This is, this is, this is a long time ago, uh, how much things have changed. But I had stayed up way too late the night before, and it's a Sunday afternoon, and I'm driving home. And friends, I, I fell asleep at the wheel, driving 60 miles an hour on kind of a back country road near where I grew up. 
The road turned, and because I had drifted off to sleep, I didn't turn. I woke up with my parents' van, a Dodge Grand Caravan, half on the road and half off the road, like, you know, that angle. And immediately I go into shock, and I remember hitting one road sign and then hitting a second road sign, and then everything went black. And I had driven, I mean, head first into a tree at 55 miles an hour. The airbag didn't go off, and my chin smacked forward into the steering wheel, knocking me unconscious. I actually have no idea how long I was unconscious for. And when I came to, again, no idea how many minutes later, I will never forget the initial feelings that washed over me in that moment. Terror, confusion, pain, both physical and otherwise. I was, in a word, shaken. Certainly the most shaken that I had ever been in my life to that point. So how about you? When in your life were you most shaken? Okay, everybody take a deep breath. <laughs> it's, a, it's okay now, right? Like I'm standing here. I'm all right. It was pretty nasty. They had to give me flight for life. I broke my femur. My mom was in California and was stuck there. Couldn't get back home uh, to the Chicagoland area. You know, it just was a mess and my road to recovery was long and difficult. I've got a titanium rod in my leg, but I'm like here now, right? Like I'm okay. Like the story has a happy ending, okay? So it's all right. Uh, but why did I tell you that? story. Why did I start there? Well, it's because, and we know this to be true, right? The events in our lives, often without any advance notice, I didn't know I was going to fall asleep and hit a tree, but often the events in our lives can shake us deeply, deeply, often without giving us any heads up beforehand. Down, in fact, so deep, down, in fact, to our very core. I've observed this lately, have you? I mean, just think back over what we've navigated together the last year and a half, the last 20 months. It's not just COVID, although certainly that's a big part of it. We're talking about an incredible amount of racial unrest, an incredibly contentious national election. And does anybody remember murder hornets? Do you remember this in 2020? Where it's like everything else is terrible and the bees are trying to kill us? It's like, seriously? Like, it's just, we can't get a break. Things are hard. And then the bees are out to murder us. And that's just what we've navigated together over the last couple of years. That's not even to mention anything of our own personal struggles and trials. I mean, I know that there have been some significant challenges here at the Shawnee campus over the past few months. Maybe this word, shaken, even gets in range of starting to describe how that's felt for you. Maybe not. But either way, when I ask this question, when in your life were you most shaken, you may have thought of something in your life that happened in addition to all of the national stuff that we've navigated. You may have thought of an event in your life that happened also in the last 18 months. Heck, you may have thought of something that happened last week. When in your life were you most shaken? I mean, the point is this, life is hard. And it's been hard, especially recently, and I just wonder maybe if we've all been just a little bit shaken. I don't think I'm the only one. And friends, it's why I love Psalm 16, 8 so much. Possibly one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, Psalm 16, 8. Here it is again. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. 
with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Here's the big idea for this morning. It's what I especially don't want you to miss. What shakes us doesn't shake him. Church, hear the good news. What shakes us does not shake him. When we're shaken, God's not. When we're uncertain, God's not. When we're unsettled, when we're unstable, when we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're shaken, God's not because what shakes us does not shake him. And here's the thing. As great as Psalm 16.8 is on its own, I mean, slap that thing on a coffee cup, I'm buying it, right? As great as it is on its own, it actually gets all the better when we resituate it within its context, when we place it back within all of Psalm 16. And so I know we've already heard it once this morning in Pastor Nathan's reading, but friends, once is not enough. (laughs) So listen back again to Psalm 16 and allow these words to speak life to your soul and refreshment to your heart. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones, the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods, they will suffer more and more, but I will not pour out drink offerings of blood to such gods. I will not take up their names on my lips. Why? Well, it's because, Lord, you alone... You alone, you only, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord, He who counsels me. I mean, even at night, my own heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure. Why? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Instead, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Now, the Psalms are first and foremost poetry, and as any English teacher will tell you, it's a bit of a tenuous project to split poetry up into logical sections. You'll run aground trying to do that too often, but I do believe that and then verses 7 through 11 together, and then verse 6 will function as a transition between the two groups. And here's how I would summarize the two groups. Here's how I would summarize them. Verses 1 through 5 is choosing to worship God alone, and verses 7 through 11 is the benefits of doing so. Verses 1 through 5, choosing to worship God alone, and verses 7 through 11, the benefits of doing so. And what we're going to do this morning is walk through together each of these sections, and we're going to see how King David... King David, who is the author of this psalm, how he makes each of these points clear. And as we get into this first section, verses 1 through 5, there's a fundamental truth, a fundamental truth that we have to remind ourselves of so that we can properly understand all that David is saying. And the fundamental truth is this, 
Everyone is worshiping something. Everyone. Everyone. All people. Everyone is worshiping something. And I'm using the word worship here in a broad, big, non-religious sense to mean something like this. All of us have something that sits at the foundation of our lives. All of us have something that sits at the foundation of our lives. And furthermore, I actually think that whatever's sitting at the foundation of your life, you're constructing your life upon that. You are building your life upon that foundation. That's the sense in which I'm using the word worship here. So for example, if the foundation of your life is your work, then you spend a lot of hours at the office. If the foundation of your life is your kids, then they become the center. Everything is built around them. Your calendar, your checkbook, you're out uh, on a date with your spouse, and it's like, man, all we can seem to talk about is the kids, right? Maybe the kids are at the foundation for you. If the foundation of your life is money, then your life is built upon whatever number you're chasing in your bank account. And that one's like trying to catch the wind, Right, trying to like grab onto and hold the wind. It's never like whatever the number is, it's just never it's like you're gonna get there and it's never gonna like quite be enough. Or if you're a student here today, right? I love working with middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students. If if you're a student here today and the and the foundation of your life is your friends, then your life is built upon and constructed around that group of people. How often can I be with them? How often can I hang out with them? What's their opinion of me? Right? Your life is constructed in that way. And of course, on and on and on, we can list example after example here. The Apostle Paul, he helps us connect this broader idea of worship to its proper source, to Yahweh, to the one true God of the Bible, who reigns over all as king of the universe. He does this in a lot of different places, but in the letter to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the gospel, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, I, I, I urge you, in view of that, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What is that? Well, this is your true and proper worship. This is your true and proper worship. That's not narrow. It's not medium. That's broad, right? That's an all-of-life definition of worship. And here's how I might define worship in this sense oriented back towards Yahweh. Worship of God is about making Him, nothing else, but Him the foundation of your life, and then it's about building everything else upon Him. That's worship of God, broad worship of God. And in Psalm 16, verses 1 through 5, in a variety of ways, King David decides how he has decided to do just that. He describes how the entirety of his life this broad sense of worship is constructed upon God alone as his foundation. So let's take another look at these five verses and see how David fleshes this out with comprehensive and stunning specificity. Verse 1 of Psalm 16, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Here David's talking about safety and security. Are those not fundamental needs that we all have? Am I safe? Am I secure? Where does he go to for that in his life? only to God. Keep me safe, my God. In you I take refuge. Verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. This is stunning to me. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Everything good in David's life, he says it originates in God. 
in some form or fashion. So his general welfare, in the broadest possible sense, he anchors that in who God is. Verse 3, I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Okay, so safety, security, general wherefore. What about my general welfare? What about my community? What about my friends? He says, I'm only selecting, I'm only choosing the noble ones, the holy ones who are similarly inclined to orient their lives around God alone, to worship God alone, to construct their lives upon God alone. He says, everyone else, I'm leaving to the side his community, his friends. Verse 4, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out drink offerings of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. And here he enters in more specifically to this idea of worship, and he comes at it from a negative perspective. He observes those who are running after idol worship, idol worship, right? Little g gods that have no power to save, have no power to keep anyone safe. And he names that. He says, I observe this happening, and I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. So he gets into worship specifically, and he says, why? Okay, why won't I do that? Why have I decided to go in a different way? It's verse 5, because Lord, you alone, you alone are my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot secure. He's most explicit here. It's only you, God, only you, Yahweh, only you, Lord. And he has these metaphors that I appreciate so much of food and drink, right? You sit down at a rich buffet, you've got options. We've got options about who we worship. We don't have an option to worship, everybody's doing that, but we have a choice of what we worship. Just like when you sit down at a buffet, you have a choice of what you're going to eat and drink first. And David says, when I sit down at the buffet of life and when I choose what to worship, Lord, you alone are my chosen portion and my cup. This verse has become a refrain for me on days where I choose to fast from physical food. Such a good reminder. Lord, you are my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot secure. Nothing else. Over and over and over again, coming at his life in a variety of angles, David says, I'm only worshiping you, God. He's made his choice clear. Everyone's worshiping something. King David's, we know where he plants his flag. So it leads us to this really important question this morning, doesn't it, church? David doesn't leave any room for doubt, but what about us? What will we choose? What will we choose? You do have to make a choice. You are making a choice. We say this to our six-year-old all the time, right? He wants to not make a choice. Not making a choice is making a choice. You don't get to be like, oh, I won't worship anything. You already are worshiping something. The only question is what, is, what is it? And is it worthy of it? And if it's not God, it's not. Spoiler alert. So what will we choose? What will our response be? Who or what will we worship? What's sitting at the foundation of your life? What will you choose? And as you're considering... This question, those questions, don't forget, right? Don't forget, this psalm has two sections. We're only halfway through. Two sections, choosing to worship God alone. That's what David makes clear he's doing in verses 1 through 5. But verses 7 through 11 are the benefits of doing that. And notice with me the transition verse between those two sections. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. 
what David is setting up in these, this verse is that there are benefits to choosing God alone. There are benefits. What else is an inheritance if it is not a benefit? It's benefits that we receive as a result of choosing to worship God alone. And friends, it's a really good inheritance. The benefits are beautiful. I mean, just look back with me over these verses. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. In these verses, David describes the benefits of the Lord counseling us, guiding us, directing us, verse 7, of the Lord's steadying, unshakable presence in our lives, of the Lord's promise of resurrection and eternal life. Did you catch that in verses 9 and 10? You will not abandon my soul to the realm of the dead. You will not let my body see decay of the faithful one. Don't tell me the Old Testament doesn't talk about resurrection. It's right here in Psalm 16. Right, Jesus is first and foremost the Holy One who God rises for the dead. He doesn't let His body see decay. Jesus' body doesn't decay after three days, right? But, but the good news of Jesus' resurrection is that it's not the only one. And so David was foreseeing here the path of the resurrection of all of us as one of the benefits of choosing to worship God alone, resurrection and eternal life, verses 9 and 10. And finally, verse 11, the Lord's gift of revealing the path of life. All of these are part of the inheritance that we receive when we choose to worship God alone. These and more. And any of them on this list would be worthy of our deeper consideration, but I'd like to, if I can, just zero in on the benefit that David describes in verse 11. In verse 11. That verse begins this way. We're just going to take the start of it here and pause for a second. It starts with this. You make known to me the path of life. Now pause there. Come with me for a second because let's just, immediately I'm really, really interested. You make known to me the path of life. And immediately I'm going, Man, I, I've been hunting for the path of life for a while. Like, I've been on the, a search for the path of life since I was a kid. It, it seems pretty good. Wait a second, you're telling me that by choosing to worship God alone, one of the benefits that I receive is knowledge of the path of life. Okay, tell me more, right? I mean, how often in your life have you thought, said, or felt something like this? I need to know which way to go. I need to know what the plan is. I need to know what decision I should make. I need to know what college to select. I need to know what career I should choose. I need to know who I should marry. I need to know how many kids I should have. I need to know when I should retire. I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. We are all looking for the path of life. And spoiler alert, right? It's like, like for kids in the room, like you just will, it kind of never ends. You're always in a spot like that where you need to know something about what's next or there's this difficult like, what do I do? I need the plan. And what David is saying here is that by choosing to worship God alone, he, he makes known to us the path of life. It's like, I almost don't need any other benefit. Like, like I'm signing. I'm, I'm in. Like, where's the dotted line? If I get to know the path of life, 
by choosing to worship God alone, that's good enough for me. You make known to me the path of life. That's how Psalm 1611 begins. How does it end? Here it is. We can go to the next slide. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. With eternal pleasures at your right hand. And and church, if we're not careful, if we're not really, really careful, this can be kind of one of those like wah, wah moments, right? If we're not really careful, it can be that a bit. Because the path of life that David reveals is not a specific plan, it's a person. The path of life that David reveals, that he says we get to know by virtue of choosing to worship God alone, it's not a specific plan. It's a person. And to not be disappointed, to not be bummed out by that, then what we have to come to see is this, that actually, very truthfully, the greatest gift that God can give us is not a plan, but is His presence. If we're, if we're going to be not bummed out by Psalm 1611, then we have to come to see that, church, this is true. The greatest gift that God can give you is not a plan. It's His very presence. It is Him Himself. And these past couple of years have been hard. right? We've already talked about that. And I know that I'm not alone in that. For me and my family, these years have provided significant challenges I've already said three years ago we made the difficult decision to leave Christ community so that I could pastor college students at Ashley and I's alma mater. Oh, and I did pick up this little side hustle of planting a church as well with a friend from seminary. True story, I finished my work here at Christ Community on Wednesday, July 31st, 2019, and I started working for Sterling College on Thursday, August 1st, 2019. Like literally did not take a day off. August 1st, 2019 was also the day that resident assistants, college students that are in the dorms, right, that they got back to campus. So I had zero days, count them, zero days where I was on campus in this new role without students there. To say that I dove into the deep end of my new job three years ago is an absolute, it's an understatement. It's an absolute understatement. I dove into the deep end and that first semester, I, I like, I almost drowned. It was really deep and really hard, and I was trying to learn a whole lot and shepherd these students, and just was difficult, right? But then Christmas break came, and the students went away. That never happens in the church. It was like, oh my goodness, they're gone <laughs> for six whole weeks. <laughs> it, was a, it was a gift, <laughs> as much as I love them, right? And it was really great. Christmas break was awesome, really restorative, and it's like I felt like there was some momentum coming. I actually felt and said, no joke, this is very true, I said, I, I think I'm starting to get the hang of this. I think, you know, I'm starting to get my feet underneath me, I said to friends and family in February of 2020. <laughs> An actual statement that came out of my mouth in late February 2020 is like, hey, I think I'm starting to get the hang of this. Uh, then March 2020 happened. Then spring break came, and we sent the students homes, and they never came back. So that was really weird, right? They went home for spring break, finished that semester online. Year two in higher ed became all about trying to not, like, just the COVID of it, right? It was crazy. Like, every goal I had for my leadership and what I wanted to do at the college was put on the back burner in year two. And that's when we made the decision to open King's Cross Church. King's Cross Church coming to you October 2020. 
Yeah. Not, I mean, I want to write a book called Planting in a Pandemic. Like, you'd, you'd read that, right? Like, it'd be kind of interesting. Like, how do you plant a church in the, in the middle of a pandemic? And then we had a third kid, which, like, babies are awesome, but also babies are sort of really difficult. Uh, so that happened in there as well. It's been a lot. It's been a lot. And I'm sure you could tell a similar story, and I'm sure like me, and there were so many times over the past two and a half, three years where it felt like what I needed most was a specific plan. Like what I needed most from God was like step one, step two, step three, step four. It felt like that in a very deep way. But it actually wasn't my greatest need. Even the moments where I felt that so strongly, and, and I'm not minimizing needing plans, like that's really important, but no matter how important good plans are, and no matter how much we need those in our lives for all variety of things, we have never needed a plan more than we've needed the presence of God. I have never needed a plan at any moment in my life more than I've needed the presence of God. And friends, God has been so present in the midst of these challenges in our lives over the past three years. As hard as baby Ethan has been in different ways, like a third kid, right? It's like, I can't imagine our life without him. What a gift he is to us and how God's presence has been known, made known to us in the midst of parenting and, and having this little, little, little kid who's starting to toddle around and walk, right? And King's Cross Church, man, God is showing up there with his presence in powerful ways, right? Ephesians 3, more than we could ever ask or imagine, God's doing that at King's Cross. And my work with college students, like if you're wondering, college students are not doing okay right now. Like if you just like, hey, I wonder how college students are doing. Not good. It's hard, right? But God is still present there, changing lives, showing up. I've never needed a plan more than I've needed the presence of God. And I don't know your stories, all of them, your life, the, the joys and struggles and challenges, but here's what I know. You have never needed a plan more than you've needed the presence of God. The greatest gift God can give us is not a plan, but his very presence. And he has. He has. He has given us his presence such that it can calm even the worst of storms in our lives. The worst of storms. You know, I think a lot about that storm that happens on the boat. This is such a good story that we find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke right? Storms on the Sea of Galilee, they would come up quickly, violently. This is not a kiddie storm. This is a kill-you type of storm. And the disciples, we're talking trained sailors, are terrified. They think they're going to die because of this storm. And Jesus is sleeping. And you better believe when they went to wake him up, they shook him awake, right? They're not like leaning down, whispering like, hey, Jesus, like, can you wake up? Like they're grabbing him and they're shaking him. And you got, right, they're going, what's the plan? Like, we're going to die. Don't you care, Jesus? The boat is shaking. The boat is rocking. The boat seems as though it's going to capsize. They've shaken Jesus awake. And what does Jesus do? Calmly, carefully, Jesus stands. He stretches out his arms and he says, Silence! Be still to the wind and the waves. 
who recognize his voice. Oh, that's the guy that created us. We should do what he says. And Mark 4.39 says, suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. There was a great calm. Where before a storm had been raging, now there is a great calm. That's quite a plan, isn't it? The very presence of Jesus, God's gift to each and every single one of us, willing, hear me church on this, willing and able to bring about a great calm in the storms of your life. What shakes us doesn't shake Him. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus who is willing and able to calm the storms of our life. The storms of our life are hard, God. They're difficult and they seem as though they're going to kill us. They come up upon us violently and quickly and we're, we're shaken about by them. Thank you that there can be a calm if we will only keep our eyes on Jesus. Thank you for him, Lord. I pray for this church, for each and every person here today, Lord. What a gift it is to gather with them and worship with them. I know that there are storms in this room right now, Lord. I know there are storms in the lives of the, the people that are here. I just pray that Jesus would, would stand up in their life and say, silence, be still, and that they would experience the unshakable calm of the very presence of your Son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen.